Episode number 11, Adjusting to Online Best Practices. This podcast is for educators, academics, and parents who know that online teaching can be challenging, rewarding, engaging, and fun. Welcome to the Online Teaching Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Bethany Hansen, and I'll be your guide for online teaching tips, topics, and strategies. Walk with me into the Online Teaching Lounge. quickly moving face-to-face classes online earlier this year, it may be a learning curve to adjust to online teaching best practices. Just as there are many teaching standards and models well-known in face-to-face teaching, online education has a standard of excellence and best practices. So in a crunch, a lot of educators had to move their face-to-face live classes to the online format, and a lot of students moved home, Faculty ended up having to um, either have a synchronous live video lecture class over the internet while their students were all over the place, or they had to record their lectures, like on video, and publish those online, communicate with their students either by phone or email. In the best cases, we had some folks already using a learning management system where assignments were posted and they could just add some content there to beef it up into a more online version of the class. But with so little time, it was very difficult for all educators across the board to suddenly adopt best practices for teaching online. So today I'm talking about how to adapt because the fall is coming, and we want to make sure that what might have worked in an emergency is not the way online education continues to go long term. Educators looking for their fall online classes have a little bit of time to learn online teaching approaches and best practices. So I'm going to talk about best practices for teaching online. And why should you care? Why does this matter for you? What does it get you to use best practices? Well, one reason they're called best practices is that they are the best approaches. Of course, something less than this might work. But a best practice means the faculty member is going to be putting the best quality of online education out there that they can. And the student is going to have a better chance at a good experience. And likewise, the instructor is going to enjoy the experience more than they would if they're suffering through some of the faulty practices or kind of last-minute approaches. And also the student is going to have much more satisfaction and better learning outcomes when we have a quality course put together. There are a lot of groups who have done work on this. A lot of research has been done. I've done some myself, both on forum quality, student engagement and learning, and forum discussions online, and some other things as well. And I'm going to share with you some best practices for teaching online. I'll consult a few resources here. One that I've come across that I really like is Arizona State University's website, Teaching Teach Online. You can find this in the notes from the podcast, so go ahead and check out the link. So I'll share some best practices noted there. I'm also going to talk to you about the quality framework that you'll find at the Online Learning Consortium website. So they have a specific quality framework that is focused on learning faculty, students, scale, and access. And lastly, I'm going to talk about quality matters. So the Online Learning Consortium quality standards and the quality matters 
quality standards are similar yet slightly different, especially in their approach and the way they roll it out. So you'll find a lot of information in today's podcast. I hope you find it helpful. You're always welcome to reach out to me through my website, ask a question, share a comment. If you'd like additional resources or links, I'd be happy to send them your way. So first, when I came across the Arizona State University website on course design, this this post is called Best Practices for Teaching Online by Jessica Cole, also by Andrew Salcido and Jessica Cole together. We've got a nice graphic on the page that you can print, check out, use as a reference in the future for your online teaching. So they go through and talk about what I agree with as some excellent practices. I have managed hundreds of faculty myself who teach exclusively online and in several departments and subject areas, and there are definitely practices that get students involved, excited, and engaged. There are also practices that help faculty to really enjoy the experience. So the very first thing that most of us would recommend, and that I find on the ASU website as well, this is called instructor presence. Instructor presence really has to do with you showing up in the online classroom. Do the students see you? Do they know you're there? Do they feel a sense of trust for you? There's really two sides to this. There's teacher presence, which is the way you put course announcements out there. You have some videos where maybe you're talking about the content. You're participating in the discussions, the dialogue that's going on online. And you're guiding them, like how to engage in the content, how to do the assignments, and all of those kinds of things. So that teacher presence really is teaching and giving the structure and the guidance. The flip side of that is social presence, which if teaching presence is the reassurance that somebody's guiding the student and they feel like they can trust that person, then social presence is a, a good sense of who that person is. So the social presence, part of it comes through in the tone of what you write in your announcements. Maybe your personality, your enthusiasm comes through. Some of that comes through in your videos that you're going to make and your comments in the discussion. So you're going to show your personality, your interest in the subject matter, your expertise, maybe a little passion for teaching. So teacher presence is the number one thing that we're all looking for and that we all want. Secondly, and really close to that teacher presence, this is the real-world application. Especially adult learners want to see that what they're going to learn is relevant. It matters. It's connected to the real world, and there's some way to apply it, hopefully right now. And if not right now, very soon. So you can motivate your students by making these connections, guiding them to make the connections, helping them bring in their experience and show them how they're going to apply what they're learning. Give them examples. Lead them to do it for themselves. As you're teaching your online course, another best practice is that you're going to actually focus on these students as being online learners. Now, when you focus on them as online learners, part of it is teaching the class, but part of it is also helping them to figure out how that class is going to work. Yes, part of your job is walking them through the online classroom itself. You might need to make a screencast that walks them through where the different places in that classroom are, how to find the announcements. 
you might have to make a screencast that shows step-by-step how to submit the assignment. Once you've made these things one time, you're going to reuse them every time you teach an online class. It is well worth your time to make these guidance tools. You can also break the learning down into smaller pieces. If you're going to make videos, as I mentioned in my book, Teaching Music Appreciation Online, videos need to be bite-sized, about one topic at a time, easily digestible, five to seven minutes tops. And also have a pattern of activities and due dates that's somewhat predictable, so the students can establish a pattern in their own lives as they're in this class. You want to tell them what your expectations are. I highly recommend having a netiquette guide. A netiquette guide is a description of how to participate in the discussion forum. What kind of language should they use? Should it be professional? Should it be academic? Should they write in a normal-sized font without any coloring? Should they um, open with an address like Dear Class or something? Should they sign their name at the bottom? When they reply to peers, would you prefer they address the classmate by their name? Whatever that is, if you give them expectations in a courteous manner, most students will follow them, and you're going to cut down on the lesser behaviors that are not so academic. It's going to help because you're coaching them, not just on how to be an academic student, but how to engage in an online class, which is markedly different from social media engagement. And then you're going to also need to tell your students when to expect communications from you. If you're in the class every other day, for example, tell them so they don't start to get nervous when you're offline for one day. And then lastly, as you're teaching them and orienting them to the class, you want to give them technical support information so they can find help. Hopefully, it's the classroom support variety. Aside from those first couple of things, If you give your students clear expectations, like a syllabus with due dates and a schedule and detailed assignment instructions, and also some learning objectives that align all of your activities with the goals of the class, you want to tell them, we're doing this to master that objective or that skill. If you make all of that explicit and clear, your students are going to do much better, and they're going to be more willing to engage in what they're supposed to be learning. On the other side of this is the responsiveness. So it's a best practice to be highly responsive to our students. This means that when they ask a question or send us an email, we need to respond within a day. Most of us in online education consider that to be a 24-hour time period. You also need to provide prompt and specific feedback to all of the submissions that a student gives you. That is, if they post in the discussion forum and you're going to grade it, if they submit an essay, any kind of graded work, it needs comments on it and not just a score. So a score is not very informative. If you have a detailed rubric that you can mark that gives some kind of detail, that's a start. And then an additional comment that highlights their strengths, their weaknesses, and how they can improve maybe gives them a link to a source where they can learn how to cite appropriately or how to avoid plagiarism. All of this kind of feedback must be timely. If you take more than a week to return all the feedback, it's very difficult for students to feel connected to what you're giving them. They have already forgotten what they submitted, 
And when you take more than a week, it's very hard to really learn from that, especially if the next assignment is due. And then lastly, and of course, very importantly, engage your students. You want to build relationships. Think of these as actual human beings on the other side of that screen. You might not see them in person. You might not be able to talk with them in real time, but those are real people and they came here to learn from you. So the quality of your conversations and your interaction, that's something you want to pay a lot of attention to. Create experiences with your students that are going to be memorable for them and memorable for you. Now those tips came from the Arizona State University website, and I can attest to the fact that they are definitely best practices for teaching online. I hope you'll check it out. And secondly, we're going to look at the Online Learning Consortium Quality Framework. So they have five pillars, learning, faculty, students, scale, and access. So one of the things that the Online Learning Consortium Quality Standards point out is that we want to be very keyed into the effectiveness of learning. In, in the days long ago, way back when I started teaching at the beginning of my career, I was a K through 12 grade band teacher, music teacher, and often we would choose our, what we were going to teach based on a concert or certain skills we thought they should have to move up to the next level musically. But as the years went by, I learned that it was more important to have standards, learning goals, and long-term plans for learners. Learning effectiveness means that whatever we're doing with them, whatever we're teaching them, whatever assignments we have, those artifacts and assignments they're going to create will help us to know did the learning happen? So in online learning, we want to be very concerned with high-quality education, but also we need to know that the strategies we're using, the way we've set up the course, the resources we've given them, the methods of interaction with them, the kinds of assessments we use, we want to know that all of those things are actually causing learning, leading to real learning. And some of the things we can do to measure that we have things like end-of-course surveys where students can give comments, and I read those regularly, and I'm often learning that certain faculty were incredibly effective in certain ways. We can also use statistics to measure these things. Do students sign up for the next class? Do they continue and persevere through the end of that class? Do they take more and more classes and actually complete the program? What are their grades like? What is the achievement like? What is the overall performance like? So we can measure some of these outcomes using data, and we can also look at trends as the teacher in our own section of the class. The other thing, the two things I'm going to highlight from this quality scale is the first one is faculty satisfaction, and the second one is student satisfaction. So as you're thinking about best practices for the fall this year in your online courses, faculty satisfaction means that you as the instructor, you're going to actually have a personally rewarding and professionally beneficial experience. Well, what's going to lead to you enjoying online teaching, especially if you don't really want to teach online? One of those things is to connect with your students. Another thing is to be supported by your institution or your school. I've heard a lot of stories about universities in particular 
that are working to give some training and support to faculty who will be having to teach online in the fall who normally would not. Something else that we hope is provided is a reward of some kind. So if you have to take a training, it'd be great if there were some tools given to you, maybe some kind of rank incentive or some kind of financial incentive. I know back when I used to teach at the local community college near me, every time you would take a course to learn something new, like you're going to take the online certification, you're going to take the hybrid certification, any of those things had a small financial stipend to pay for your training time. And it also covered you creating the next version of that class. So faculty satisfaction is very important. And of course, as a faculty member, you're not necessarily totally in control of that. Um, So you want to think about what's going to help you preserve rigor and value in your online teaching, but also really enjoy that experience. So be thinking about that and what appeals to you most in your teaching and try to make it work online. Lastly, this framework is in, about student satisfaction. So this is the effectiveness of pretty, every, pretty much everything that's happening in this online education experience. The goal is that all students who complete the course are satisfied with how tough it was, how rigorous, how real it was, and how fair the teacher or professor was, and how, how much they were able to engage with their classmates, their peers, And if they needed any support, that they got it, like classroom support, disability services, whatever that might be. So online students are particularly sensitive and look for interaction. They want to have interaction with their teacher and with the other students in the class. They want to be known. They don't want to just be invisible and ignored. The more you can help that happen, the better experience it's going to be for them the more engaged they're going to be, and the more they're going to learn. So we also look at online students a little bit like these are consumers. They're buying the educational experience, and they have to work for it, but they need to get what they're paying for in terms of responsiveness from the faculty, timely feedback, personalized contacts, and feedback. So be thinking about all of these. These are definitely best practices, very effective ways to reach students and Think about your online teaching this year. Now, lastly, I want to refer you to the Quality Matters website. It started with a group of colleagues at Maryland Online, a consortium who were trying to solve a problem. The first thing was they wanted to figure out how do you figure out how quality a course is when it's online? How do you measure it? And then secondly, they wanted to lead to some kind of a scalable process to ensure quality meaning that it could be done at a lot of schools everywhere. Well, they did that. It grew, and it's really a fantastic thing. Basically, you can become certified through the QM process to review courses, to apply their standards, and to review other people's courses and other people's programs and really be involved in this whole Quality Matters movement. Now, Quality Matters is a great way to, uh, when you take the training, to learn, well, is your course really set up to meet a diverse group of learners? There are a lot of disability-compliant things for diverse types of students that are needed. Um, There are also alignment issues that come to light when you take the QM rubric training particularly. For example, 
when you have an assignment, you need to list which course objective that assignment is going to address. And then week to week, you want to have smaller objectives that help students build up to the bigger course objectives so that by the end of the course, they can tell what they've learned, what they've mastered, and so can you. Well, I hope you have found that these best practices are many, but useful to you. It might seem a little bit overwhelming at first when you look at best practices, if you have not really taught online a lot, it feels like a lot, right? There's, there are many things to seek out to help you ensure that there's quality and also to help you teach well. The good thing is this is growing. Online education has been here for a long time. And the more we have online courses around the world, the higher the quality gets and the more resources there are out there for you to gain more skills, get more training, see examples, get tips and ideas, you name it. Well, I'm going to put these links in the notes for the podcast. I hope you'll check them out and use them. Definitely investigate the strategies. They are there for you and they will help you improve your practice of teaching online. Here's to you this week as you think about the quality of your online teaching and the courses that you deliver. This is Dr. Bethany Hansen, your host for the Online Teaching Lounge podcast. As you try out these ideas, visit my blog and share your results. How did they work? What would you add? Any suggestions, comments, or questions? Best wishes this week in the grand online teaching adventure.